Today, anointed pastor, Pastor Caesar, will deliver the word of God to us. Are we hungry for the word? Amen. Hallelujah. Pastor Caesar. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Thanks. I'm a tall guy. All those people in the back can see me in the back out there. Especially the day with my peach colored shirt on here today, so. Let's start with a word of prayer and then I'll get into the word. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that your word is good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the men and women of God may be thoroughly equipped for every work in which you've called them to do, Lord. Father, we open our hearts and minds to your word today, God, and we believe, Lord, because your word says that when your people hear your word, their minds are renewed and we are transformed into your likeness. So, God, we expect to be transformed and we expect, God, to leave this place different than when we came into this place, Lord. So, Father, we want to give you thanks ahead of time for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Ah, amen. Uh, amen. Some of you probably don't know, but I'm sure have probably picked up lately on my accent that I'm not from the Northwest, but I'm from the South, from Louisiana. And growing up in Louisiana, you, you, you kind of get used to the, the, the swamplands and the crawfish and the catfish and all everything being fried and having a good old time eating and so forth. But also with growing up in the South as well, too, there comes all of the, the, the things that are with the racial overtone and all of that kind of stuff that causes people to be divided and so on. Uh, uh, with that also comes a whole idea of one being growing up not truly understanding really who they are. And I was one of those kids that grew up. I thought that the only people that really loved me was my mom and dad. And they supposed to love me because I was their son. And that was that they supposed to tell me, I love you, right? So I grew up uh, under that uh, cloud of, uh, of all black folks are, uh, are violent and all black folks are dumb and ignorant and all those kind of things. So growing up under that kind of uh, environment or in that environment, you, you start, to, start to believe maybe some of those things are true. After all, there are a high percentage of African Americans who are incarcerated. After all, there are a large percentage of our African American brothers who are ones that have left their families and so forth. So you go up under a cloud, a dark cloud, and that dark cloud has carried with me in, in my life as well, too. Even to the point that when I became a Christian, it still carried over into my life because I didn't fully understand one thing. I didn't fully understand that when I came to Christ, my identity, it changed. My identity was not determined by what others were going to say, but my identity was determined by what God has said in his word. So this morning, I have a question for you this morning. 
This morning, I want to know, do you, as one who is here this morning, know your identity? When you look at yourself as a Christian, what do you see? What do you think of yourself as a Christian? Or do you really understand to the extent that the Son of God indwells you? Today, I would hope that we would be able to cover enough material here to be able to convince you that you are not the same old person that you used to be, but you are a new creation in Christ. Hallelujah. And I believe that as you leave from this place, you're going to be changed and you're going to be transformed in your mind. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Did you know that the Bible said, Jesus himself said that when we know the truth, the truth, it sets us free. All right? Many times we focus on the latter part of that verse by saying the truth will make us free. Yeah, that's true because truth is truth and we can't change that fact. However, if we don't know the truth, we could also be living under a lie. And then when you are living under a lie, you could also be being deceived about who you really are. Amen. I believe that there's a lot of folk that are walking around just like a man that I uh, heard about one time. This fellow, he was uh, uh, applying for an acting position. And in the position, he had to act as uh, a butterfly, right? And this man took on the character of that butterfly. He took it on so much to where one of his friends say, Johnny, I'm noticing that you have been changing color and your clothes in which you wear. They're much brighter now. Yes, this is true. Johnny, I noticed that you have been studying a lot of books on butterflies. Johnny, I noticed that Every free moment that you get, you talk about butterflies. So his friend began to wonder, Johnny, what's going on? What's going on, Johnny? One day he went to Johnny's apartment, and he knocked on the door, and no one, no one answered. And then he knocked again, and then Johnny eventually came to the door. And he said, Johnny! He says, no, you must be at the wrong apartment. My name is Butterfly. I believe that there's a lot of butterflies sitting in the church. A lot of people who really don't know who they are. They're just coming to church for a good old time, but don't really know, or have no idea who they are. Today, I want to tell you what the scriptures say about you and who you are as a Christian. And maybe for those of you who are not Christians today, maybe you will want to begin to start a personal relationship with Jesus when you see how awesome it is when you know who he is. Amen. Amen. The text in which we're going to read out today is Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 6. I want to tell you three characteristics of your identity today. The first one is going to be... In, we, in, we who are in Christ, we are, number one, significant. We who are in Christ also not only just significant, but we are secure in him. We who are in Christ, 
We are also sufficient in him. Significant, sufficient, and secure in Christ. The text read in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, it reads, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with his riches, the riches of, his, of God's grace. So we see Paul writing to a church and two brothers and sisters who he is trying to reveal to them some revelation in which he has just gotten from God about a mystery that has been uh, a mystery for quite some time. And this mystery was that God, through his uh, power and his glory, he was going to begin to make a body, a body of people who with Christ Jesus as the head, who will walk in this world as one, and they will be people in whom he worked through to confound and overcome the evil of his day. That's why in chapter 6, he's talking about we do not wrestle with flesh and blood and how we are in this big old battle that's going on. God has a purpose for each of us. And that purpose is that we will be overcomers in Christ, that we will be victorious in our walk with him, that we will do great things and great exploits in his kingdom. That's God's promise for us. That's what he desires. So Paul, knowing that, he tells them, if we're going to be this, we must understand who we are in Jesus first. Because if you don't understand who you are, you will know, not know how to walk the way God wants you to walk. So he tells them, guys, this is who we are. This is who we are in Christ. He says that we are significant in Christ. Many of us Seek after significance. Just as I opened up saying to you, because I grew up in an environment that talked so negative about me, that's the way that I thought. Therefore, when I came into Christ and began to understand who I was and how God wanted me to walk, it began to change my way of thinking. But up until that point, I would always strive to try to make people accept me. Or I would always maybe look to my work or look to what, all of my achievements to show that I was of value, right? Some ladies may 
look at it in a different way. When they think of their value, they think about going out and buying pretty and nice things. Nothing wrong with that. But it should not be, your value should not be tied up in those things. Right? We have a clear picture of one person who is a great example of someone who strived for significance. But he was ultimately, in the end, disappointed. One of the greatest persons that we know in the scripture had everything. His name is Solomon. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we see Solomon talking about his, all of his achievements and so forth. But we also see a Solomon who says that these things are nothing. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and I read from verse 4 on. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of king and province. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delight of the heart of men. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desire. I refused my heart. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward of all my labor. Yet when I survived all I mean, surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve. Everything was meaningless. Amen. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Amen. This is someone that is powerful. But he says, I ran after significance. I chased after it. And it was all meaningless, right? We love possessions here in this country. We love power. And we love position in this country. Therefore, we chase after it. We strive for it. We seek after it. Because we feel as though when I get position, I become somebody. My value is shown there. If I get power, I will show you how valuable I am, show you how important that I am. Look at all my possessions. I'm very important. Right? Now, you can clearly see that throughout the totality of Scripture that God is not against those things. But God is against when those things become the things that make us, or we think that because we have them, we are significant. Notice, mark it down in your book, this same Solomon, after he has communicated throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, now let me in con in conclude this matter. 
in, in chapter 12, verse 13, he says, let me conclude this matter, right? Finally, brothers, uh, okay, I've done everything, but here's what really matters. Fear God and keep his commands. Thank you, brother. Fear God and keep his commands. Now, let's look at this aspect of significance. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy's servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philip, I mean, I'm sorry, at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are significant because of what Paul said. Paul is not writing to sinners. He is writing to saints. He calls them saints. So as God's people, we are significant people because we are saints in God. Amen. Amen. So for all of you who tell your friends all the time, oh, we are nothing but sinners, stop lying to your friend and tell them the truth. You are a saint in God. In Christ, we are saints. We are no longer sinners. Guess what? If you keep telling yourself that you are a sinner, guess what you're going to do? Sin. But if I tell myself that I'm a saint and look at what it really means to be someone holy, guess who I'm going to live like? Someone that is holy. Because I'm a saint, right? So many people think that, oh, when I get to the by and by, in the pie, in the sky, when I get to the by and by, then I will become saint. I will meet Saint Peter, Saint Paul. No, that's not what God says. God said, in the here and now, you are a saint. And we are not saints because of what somebody says about us, but we are saints because of what Jesus has done for us through his death on the cross. Then we are saints. The Bible says that we are saints through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. We have been made right with God. But what we try to do sometimes is that we try to project our own righteousness. But the Bible clearly says that our righteousness is just like filter rags before God. That's what it says in Isaiah 64. That our righteousness is like filter rags. But the Bible says also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says that Jesus himself, when he hung on the cross, he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So don't let nobody tell you or don't let the devil tell you that you are not righteous. You are not righteous in God. You are righteous in Christ. Amen. 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 We are righteous in him. When Jesus died on the cross, 
the Bible said that he paid for the, the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven. But not don't want to stop there. He didn't pay the penalty so that we can just be forgiven. He paid the penalty so that we can be, be forgiven and also live the new life. Right? We can live the new life in Christ. Right? My significance doesn't come from what I have, my possessions or the power that I have or the position that I'm in. My significance comes from being in Christ. My righteousness comes from being in him, right? One of the things that Paul clearly talks about a lot more than justification, sanctification, or all of the other doctrinal truths, one of the clearest things that Paul talked most about was this union in which we have with Christ. Read in his letters to the church or epistles. Read in them how many times that he talks about in the Lord or in him. Read how many times. I believe, as I understand from one researcher, about 164 different times. So he's emphasizing something that is clearly very important. Our relationship with Jesus, right? The Bible tells us a little bit more about this relationship in Colossians verse three, uh, Colossians chapter three, verse one and one to four. It says, "If then you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God." When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Where is your life now? Your life is hidden in Christ. It's hidden in Christ. So as God's people, ones who have been redeemed, ones who have received righteousness by faith in Christ and Christ alone, when we begin to surrender to him and allow his life to live through us and allow him to be manifested in us and through us, we will live as someone who is significant because not because of our position. We just need to stop pursuing all of those things and start to pursue Christ and Christ alone. And we will find our significance there. The second thing that he clearly tells us, he says in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When I read that, the first thing that, uh, that I, my reaction was, wow. And then the second reaction was that, oh God, I've been walking as though I'm not a son of yours. Did you hear what he said in there? He said that I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly 
rams. What does that mean? It means that for this life which we are living in now, God has given us every benefit or resource in which we need to live in intimate relationship with him. Everything. Now, my question to you then, why do we keep asking God for so much stuff then? If God has given us everything, did you hear that? It's not everything later. Many of you English majors, you'll know that when he says have, that's past tense. He's already done it in Christ. He has already done it. Many of us are living as though God is going to do it. Live now as God has already done it. That's why Paul is right here. He's reminding these Ephesians and other churches, he's reminding them out of just thanksgiving. This is one of those prayers where Paul was just emotionally charged that he realized that, God, you have given us everything in Christ. So out of thanksgiving for everything he had already given him, he was presenting what God had done in Christ already. Already. Here's the deal. If God has given you something already, you must be getting to cash in on that day, right? It would be like someone that says, um, someone goes to Connie and puts a check in her bank account. She has no idea of it. But somebody honestly put a check in her bank account. And she finds out what somebody has done. She has every right to write the check and to withdraw everything. But she also has every right to see that somebody has done it and do nothing about it either. I'm afraid what happened, a lot of the people of God today are in the latter part. God has actually written the check, but no one catching in on it. He's written it, but no one catching in on it. Right? Yeah, you got to go to the bank. Don't know to have your money in the bank and don't go there. We would think that's silly. Right? But God is, he's, he's written it. All we need to do is begin to receive it, walk in it, believe it, right? One great example that I I saw in a a snatcher from Chuck Swindell, he went to visit one of his friends who were in the veteran hospital. And when I read this, I thought, okay, this is the way I do, knowing that God has all of these resources here and he has blessed us like this. Watch this. The day I arrived to visit, I saw a touching scene. This man had a young son, and during his confinement in the hospital, 
he had made a little wooden truck for his boy. Since the boy was not allowed to go into the ward and visit his father, an orderly had brought the gift down to the child, who was waiting in front of the hospital with his mother. The father was looking out of a fifth-story window, watching his son unwrap the gift. The little boy opened the package, and his eyes got wide when he saw that wonderful little truck. He hugged it to his chest. Meanwhile, the father was walking back and forth, waving his arms behind the windowpane, trying to get his son's attention. The little boy picked up the truck and, and, and put it down and hugged the orderly, thanked him for the truck. And all the while, the frustrated father was going through these dramatic gestures, trying to say, it's me, son. I made the truck for you. I gave that to you. Look up here. I could almost read his lips. Finally, the mother and the orderly turned the little boy's attention up to the fifth floor window. It was then the boy cried, Daddy, okay, thank you. I miss you, Daddy. Come home, Daddy. Thank you for my truck. And the father stood in the window with tears pouring down his cheek. How much like that little child we are. God has blessed us, but we sometimes forget to give him thanks. We forget to give him thanks. God is just saying, it's me. And we are looking to me. It was because of what I'd done. We are robbing him of his glory. If we want to be God's people who walk the way he wants us to walk, we have to understand our identity. What is our identity? Our identity in Christ is one of significance. Our identity in Christ is one of sufficiency. Okay. Right? And third and lastly, our identity in Christ is one of security. In verse 4, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We are secure in Christ because he chose us. He chose us. Right? He chose us in him. You remember that story when God called a prophet Jeremiah? The Bible said that God called Jeremiah before he was even in his mother's womb. Right? God, he says that here, Paul says here that he, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Before Adam and Eve were on this planet, God chose you. Amen. Hallelujah. He had you in mind. God had us in mind before Adam and Eve. The Bible says, it reads on, it reads on, it reads on and says that in verse 5 it says, He predestined us. What did it mean, predestined? God foreordained. He marked out something before time, right? 
Some of us, we think that, oh, yes, I came to God. No, you didn't. You didn't come to God. We get up and share our testimony in church talking about, I came to God. You didn't come to God. God drawed you to himself. And because he had a plan before you, before time. And all you did was just say yes to God because it's so good to you. And he predestined us to be adopted. Right? There's two ways in which we use the word adoption in the Bible. We use it in a Hebrew context. And then we use it, Paul more so using it here in the, the kind of more of a Greek or Roman context of things. Now here's the deal. This adoption happens simply according to the scripture by God's grace. It happens because of God's grace and mercy in what you show towards us. So we find ourselves, asking ourselves then, what is grace? What is grace? Grace, in many of us, we would say it is undeserved favor and love. A love and favor. Something we don't deserve. Right? So, and if you read Carefully in here, you will see that this is the heart of Paul. He knew that he did not deserve God's grace. He didn't. Me and you, we did not deserve God's grace. What we deserved was death. But God in his tremendous grace and love for us, he sent his son. He sent his son to step in our place. And die for us. So we give him thanks for that. There's a, there's a, a game some of you may be familiar with, or application that some of you may be familiar with on the iPhones, and it's called God's Pocket, or a Pocket God. And in advertising this game. The people, who, the people wrote this. What kind of God would you be? Benevolent or vengeful? Play pocket God and discover the answer within yourself. On a remote island, you are the all-powerful God that rules over the primitive islanders. You can bring new life and then take it away just as quickly. But if you read a little bit farther about this game you will see that most of the game simply just talks about either burning these islanders, throwing them in a volcano, or creating some kind of uh, um, earthquake. Because that's the picture most people have of God. They don't see him as a loving God. They don't see him as as a gracious God. Therefore, they don't receive his favor from him. Hmm. 
Last thing before I close, I'd like to say. If you'll keep reading with me there in Ephesians, you'll see that he adopted us as his son to Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In some of your texts, it may read that he has accepted us into the beloved. Right? God has accepted us. He's accepted us into his family. So we can rest in that. We can rest in knowing that we have relationship with God. Resting in him brings us that security in what we need. Right? Many of us are so striving. We're trying to get this and we're trying to get that. And all God is saying, just rest in me. Rest in what I've already done. Resting what I've already done. Did you know, according to John, did you know that God accepting you and adopting you, that was his will for you. That was his will for you. First John chapter 3, is, verse 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on you that we should be called children of God. God loves us. He has accepted us. I thank God for this. Many of my years, in fact, I would tell you, be quite open, and maybe Mike can let me come to his basketball camp, even though I'm a little bit older, maybe he still can let me come, though. <laughs> but many, I played many years of basketball, and the number one reason why I played many years of basketball is simply because I did not want to carry that ghetto status any longer. I did not want to carry those stigmas any longer. I wanted to get to the place to where I could earn as much money so that I can buy whatever I need. I can have power. I can say whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I wanted to get this so bad. And you know what that hit me? It hit me four or five years of drinking alcohol, rock bottom. So I understand, Solomon. It's all meaningless, chasing after the wind. God has accepted me in Jesus Christ. God has redeemed you. God has delivered you. He has made you right with him. Amen. <laughs> he has given us a reason to shout. He has given us a reason to declare his goodness and mercy. I know now, I didn't understand for a long time, but when I go to my different brothers all over the place, I understand now why they can still be tremendously joyful. I understand my brothers in Africa who don't have a penny, but they still have great joy. They still have great peace because they understand who they are in Jesus. 
Many of us, we don't understand who we are in Christ. Therefore, if you take away my position, if you take away my possession, you take away Christ, you take away my life, I say stop it today. And I say stand up before and own up to who you are in Jesus Christ. You are significant. You are sufficient in him and you are secure in him. Amen. Hallelujah. There was a story and, uh, that read there were some people who were missing some monies. And, and these people, got their, their, their IRS was waiting for them to come. And they published it in newspapers. And these people, they never showed up. They never showed up. The total came to, I think, something like $38 million, something like that. And the people never showed up to claim what was theirs because they did not know it was theirs. As God's people, you need to know what is yours and who are you so that you can Claim it. If you don't claim it, you will never walk the way God would desire you to walk. I'll leave you with this verse. It says like this in Proverbs. It says that as a man thinks, so will he be. If you think that you are a sinner, you will be a sinner. If you think that you are broke, you will be broke. If you think that you are a crook, you will be a crook. I would say today to you, thank is as though you are a saint and you will walk like a saint. Know that you have everything in Jesus and you will walk as you have everything in Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to give you some homework. Because I used to be a former teacher, so I want to give you a homework. See, it's all good to be cheering, and it's all good to be clapping our hand right now. But when tomorrow morning roll around, it's a different story. So what I want you to do today, when you go home today, I want you to go back to this thing again, and I want you to find all of those places where God says who you are, and I want you to write them down so that tomorrow morning and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday again, I want you to begin to say to yourself, oh, thank you, Lord, that I am chosen of you, Lord. Thank you that I am accepted by you, Lord. And I guarantee you, whatever situation you're going through, you will move from that place of uh, despondent to being one that says, yes, Lord, hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. See, I get up in the morning, I talk to myself. I don't know about you, but I talk to myself. My kids can tell you that I talk to myself too. I thank God that I'm chosen. I thank God that I'm redeemed. I thank God that I'm his righteousness. I thank him for it. Thank him for it. And you will see yourself being free from it. Amen. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay. Remember, 
You are secure in him. You are sufficient in him. And you are significant in him. Let's pray. Father, we bless you this morning. We bless you this morning. (laughs) God, we thank you. We thank you that we have the word. Father, thank you that your word, it renews us. Thank you, Lord, that your word, it transforms us, God. Oh, Father, thank you today, Lord, that we will not leave this place with a confusion about who we are in Christ. But thank you that today, God, that we're going to leave this place knowing that we're significant because we are saints in him, God. Lord, we're going to leave this place today knowing that we have every need, every resource to, in this world today to be successful in you, Lord God. And Lord, we thank you, Lord God, no matter what happens in our life, God, we are not going to be bogged down in fear and anxiety because of our insecurity. Thank you, Lord, that in Jesus we are secure in him, oh God. And Lord, I pray for your people today, God, that they would grab a hold of this, and Lord, to our gravel hold together, God, that we would be a people who shake our city, who would shake our communities, Lord, and our families, Lord, would no longer be the same, God, but we would be changed today, God, in the power of your spirit, God. So, Father, we bless you today, and we give you all the praise and all the glory be to you, God, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah.